What is up, Mets fans? Episode number 18 of the Mets Up podcast coming at you. We just finished up a series that we shockingly won with the replace Mets against the Colorado Rockies. More of a, I guess, testament to how bad the Rockies are than really how good the Mets are because we didn't necessarily play good baseball, but we scraped away three wins on a three-game winning streak. Don't let this team get hot. At the blink of an eye, we're two and a half games up in first place in the NLE. So as bad as things could have been, still looking good, still feeling great, still feeling positive. A lot of good things to take out of this series. You guys know where to find us. If you want to listen to it, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. If you want to watch it, YouTube. We're going to be back with the YouTube videos. You get to see my crustacean-looking face here because I'm quite red right now, looking like Mr. Krabs was at the doubleheader, got a little burnt. But as well, if you want to follow us on social media, you can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram, Messed Up. Really simple, really easy. We're posting a lot of content everywhere, so keep showing the support, guys. We really do appreciate it. Here with the co-host, James Schiano. Jeter had no range. Me, Mark Luino, Draft Neck. Mark, James, how we doing? How we feeling? You're in a different spot, so of course, whenever you do get to a new area, we have to know where you are, so where is James Schiano? Today, I'm actually in Denver, which is kind of ironic that I'm sitting here in Denver when the Mets play the Rockies and Queens. Yes, out of all the times to be in Denver. It kind of sucks how that happens, but... We're here, and this is a wonderful city, great place, would recommend to anybody. The Mile High City. Mile High City. I have some funny comments on the Rockies broadcast from the last two nights, which I'll share as we get later in the show, as we get into our minutia that we like to do, but hey, beautiful, beautiful week for the Mets. We cannot complain. I think coming into the series, we were probably realistically looking to split right now with the way that this Mets roster is. 500 baseball is good baseball. That's really, really good for the way that our team is with all the injuries. We did get a big guy back, though, in Jacob deGrom, who we'll touch on a little bit more as we get deeper into the episode because he pitched a fantastic game, too. And you know what? Let's just do it. Let's start talking about the games. Game one. Mets didn't win this one. As we know, we're on currently a three-game win streak, but there were some things to take a look at here all over the place. One of the weirdest things to start off, though, James McCann got his first ever start at first base in Major League Baseball. Now, he did play this position a little bit in college, they said, so he was an Arkansas Razorback, played a little bit there, and honestly, didn't look bad at first base. No, actually looked kind of good. This the moment the lineup card dropped on Monday afternoon, we had like our first very sinking feeling of this Met season, and that usually comes in every Met season around mid-May. So this was about on target, even with the new all the new vibes going on, new ownership and everything. But seeing the James McCann first base with, I don't even remember who was hitting. I think he was hitting third. Yeah, it all just felt so wrong, so awful, so dirty. No, it, it was not like a recipe for success. And granted, while we didn't win this game, as we've seen later in the series, James McCann might be the new first baseman for a bit until Pete Alonso does come back, who I think is going on a rehab assignment this week, which is or this weekend, I should say, which is good news. But until then, James McCann and possibly even Patrick Mazika are going to be playing first base for us for what seems like the near future. But that was an interesting start to the day. Peterson on the mound going against the Rockies. Mm-hmm. He's been all over the place this year, yep. and he, he kind of did it again. He was a little all over the place again last, the, uh, on, what, Monday night? Monday night, yep. This was just a super, like, Peterson game where he definitely didn't have his best stuff, like nowhere close to it, evident he did not have it. He gave up three shots in the first couple innings. The bomb for McCann, the bomb, McMahon, Mc, McMahon, what a good little baseball player. We really, we really talked about him last month when we played this team. That guy is freaking good. He's a ball player. He's really solid. Major ball player. And then with one of the catchers hit the home run, I don't remember if it was Nunez or Diaz on Monday night. I think it was Elias Diaz because that guy owns the Mets, like, and he doesn't own anybody. <laughs> he doesn't he, own anything. He's the Chase Anderson of hitters. He's terrible no, at everything. He doesn't own anything. He just rents. Yes. But, and then Story hit like a shot to the warning track. 
Two of those bombs are off Peterson Slither, which I was very scared about because that's the only pitch he's really had to like get people to swing and miss recently. But after those first three innings, he really gutted one out. He gave a classic Peterson performance. Six innings, three earned, three walks, three Ks, five hits. That is not pretty. Very ugly, I would actually say. But he got it done. He did it. It's crazy that he has only given up more than three earned runs in one start this season. And that was that game in Philadelphia back in April. When as up and down as Peterson's been, and of course the three earned runs doesn't mean as much because there's been a couple of starts where he hasn't even gotten out of the second and third innings. But still, he has never really left a game with the Mets not in it, which I you got to give some credit to him for that. No, you have to. It was a, I love throwing around. It was a gutsy performance because mm-hmm. he definitely didn't have his best stuff, and he was off to such a shaky start at the beginning. Like It was like, dude, we need you to go six today. We need it. Whatever so it badly. takes, you're going to have to take your lumps today. And luckily, the lumps stopped after like the first two or three innings. He really settled in, even though he wasn't great, even though his stuff wasn't swing and miss particularly. He still got the job done. And I think that's huge for Peterson's growth because he's not going to be a guy, especially with how big he is, that's going to be able to be just on every single day. But being able to come out, give us six scrappy innings, which is what he did, that can make a huge difference for this team. And we kind of saw it play out over the next few games because those six innings there, it put a lot of pressure off the bullpen at least, which was nice. And I know you got a little bit more of breaking down his stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we know that he's not going to be this pitcher yet because it's something I've said over and over again. He's still learning how to pitch as a young pitcher, only a few years out of college. He's learning. He's learning. He's changing up his repertoire every game. Something I like that I've mentioned a few times is the fact that once again, Peterson threw more four-seam fastballs than sinkers. That's cool. That's a good trend for him moving forward, especially now that he's touching up into that 94 range, kind of sitting there. That could make this guy potentially into an entirely new pitcher. The downside is that neither the four-seam fastball or the sinker were effective in any type of way. He didn't get one whiff combined on either of those two pitches. That's shockingly low. Statistical anomaly. And they accounted for more than half of all the pitches he drew through. The four-seam still was better, as I've touched on. It didn't allow like really any hard contact, so that is his path. If David Peterson wants to go from a 4-5 guy to a 3-4, 2-3 guy at some point in his career, that is the way to do it. Four-seam fastball, four-seam fastball, four-seam fastball. And I said how some sliders were jumped on early in the game. They were. There were a couple hangers. All of those were like middle-middle, the two of the best three hitters in this lineup. And I am going to now say that Ryan McMahon, after watching him for seven games this year, is better than Charlie Blackman. I'll say yes. that right now. But he found the slider as the game moved on, similar to Stroman last week with that split change against Miami. Fourth, fifth, sixth innings, he was throwing it plenty, and he was getting whiffs on it. Seven whiffs on 18 swings, right there, just touching a 40% whiff rate, sitting at 39. That's how he got through this game. That's how he gave us the innings we needed, and that set the Mets' bullpen up for a huge week. And at times, this game felt out of reach despite being close because it the final score was still relatively close. The Mets tried to scrap this one back here. They just couldn't get it done. But it really came down to the offense this game. The offense was non-existent, which is going to happen with this lineup. I mean, even in the games that we won this year, he's not scoring a lot of runs. But we made Austin Gomber look really, really good. As if trading Nolan Arenado for Austin Gomber was a good trade. Which it's not, by the way. It's not by any means. But we made Austin Gomber and the Rockies front office probably go, Ooh, maybe we maybe we didn't do that bad. Like, no, you still did. It's just he faced a triple-A team, let's be honest. Yeah, I won't tell you that Austin Gomber is not good. I wrote in the notes, This I probably wrote this about in the middle of the fourth inning, it's crazy that it's 2 nothing and it feels like we have no chance, because it did feel like we had no chance after those two solo home runs, and that we made Austin Gomber look like Clayton Kershaw. As a left-handed pitcher who doesn't throw particularly hard with a good curveball, I was like, who, who, am I, who the fuck am I watching out here? But like when you go into a game when your lineup 6, 7, 8, 9, 
is Jose Peraza, who, again, is a hero. We know he's not a very good hitter. Cameron Maven, who I don't think could hit minor league pitching right now. The guy looks so completely lost at the plate. I'm so salty about Cameron Maven because I had a sick meme that I made when the Mets picked up Cameron Maven for a buck. And I've been, it's been sitting in my drafts <laughs> for two weeks now with no signs of life, none at all. Janesh Fargas tried to play this game, and it was so clear that he couldn't. He, no. couldn't, he couldn't even move his arm. It was ridiculous. And then the pitcher spot. Like, you're not going to score runs like that. You're just not going to. But just to touch on Gomber real quick, like, he did have eight strikeouts in his A-plus innings. He looked like an actual piece at times. 36% whiff rate. Like, really? We really did this to Austin Gomber? We made Austin Gomber look like this? That's going to be, like, the, the key phrase here for a little bit is, like, we made X look like this. We made this guy look good because... The way that lineup is, it's really easy to look good pitching against the Mets right now. And one of the guys that's just not looking good and it's not great right now is Dom Smith. I'm sure you guys were expecting Francisco Lindor, but I have some positive things to touch on him in a little bit. Dom is so not good. Not good. He's really, really bad right now. I don't think he's a bad player. I still you know, have the hope that Dom's going to figure it out at some point. Something's going to click and he'll go back to being really good offensively. But there's just no end in sight right now for like this insane drought that he's been in because anyway you like look at the numbers and the stats, like he's just not playing good baseball. It's really, really hard to like even take like a positive out of it, like his exit velo or a hard hit rate or something. Like it's just all of it's pretty poor right now. And the big thing I tweeted out about it, I'm turning into a little uh, hitting ninja over here. We had Dom Smith's. I was looking at his swing because I'm like, this guy just can't be that bad. There's no way. There has to be something fundamentally wrong with him at the plate. And I sent it to you, and we were talking about it. Yeah, we had, we had a nice conversation about it. Yeah, essentially, if you're looking at Dom Smith's swing from this year and comparing it to 2020 or even 19, Dom's hips were a lot more open. He was really driving them through the zone, like firing through when he's swinging, and that's going to help, one, like generate a little bit of lift, too, because your core and just like the lower body getting involved. But two, that's going to be the difference between like those like kind of like weak ground balls that we've been seeing hit into the shift that are like the one hopper, two hoppers, or those balls getting over the guy's head. Like, just being able to come through the zone like that would be so big for Dom. I don't know if there's an injury. I don't know if there's something going on there. But his hips are so tight that he's almost, like, jamming himself into the ground, not letting himself finish properly. And, like, if you're if you're tight at the plate like that, you're not going to be able to generate power, which Dom, I think, hasn't hit a home run in over 100 at-bats or something like that. That's insane. Way more. I think we're approaching 140. It's nuts. That, that can't happen for a guy who really showed us the last few years that he is a good player but if you saw this version of dom you would have thought that 19 and 20 never happened definitely i think like the phrase you're looking for is dominic smith can't activate his lower half yes that's the exact phrase there's something going on in his body where he's just not able to swing his hips through like and generate any power on his swings his lack of power this year is so stark compared to what he was doing last year. He is turning no mistakes that pitchers are making into any type of lethal contact, none. Baseball Savant has a cool like little table. It's about um, your, swing and your, your swings and your takes and then your run values on those swings. Might be getting a little confusing here, but to be like a little, a little meta for a second, on pitches in the heart of the plate, like just the literal heart of the plate, the middle section of the plate, last year Dom had a plus 10 run value, wow. which Yes, that is that everyone usually is plus, like the good hitters on their heart, swing take, runs created. But Dom's was near the tops of the league. This year, it is negative one on pitches in the middle of the plate. That is so bad. That is below most of the soft hitting guys in baseball. He's just not able to generate anything 
from pitches that he should be putting over the fence or in the gap. Pitches that we've seen him put over the fence and in the gap. And it's troubling, and it doesn't look like it's getting better. This might be the one time that, like, Quattlebaum might be tough as a hitting coach because I don't necessarily know the mechanic side, how comfortable he is trying to tweak things and stuff like that, which, I, you know, we're really thinking into it at this point. Where, like, he's probably more of the approach guy, probably more of, like, the mental side a little bit, the idea going on. Dom needs somebody in his ear right now, and I'm sure he probably knows it himself, too. He's a professional hitter, but it is just so painfully obvious what's wrong with him at the plate, and it's just not changing, and I'm starting to get worried that this might, maybe we just got a little bit of a pipe dream here with Dom the last few years, and this is more realistic of, the, the in-between is more realistic of the player that he actually is. Definitely. I said that about a month ago on this show, I think just after the Red Sox series. Yeah. where it just seemed like he couldn't get in his groove. But I'll defend my guy Hugh, Hugh Q, for a second. He he comes from a Major League Baseball background. He was a video analyst for years. I'm sure he's aware of the issue for Dom. But it could just be like a fitness thing. I don't know. It could it could be anything. Yeah. Mechanical issues and swings are very difficult to decipher, and they're even more difficult to fix, as we've seen with Lindor these last few months. I trust the professionals in this organization to get it to him, and I feel like it wouldn't seem this bad if we had more Major League players in the lineup. Fair. But when he's one of the three regulars that's playing every day, one of the two regulars playing at their general position we'd expect them to play every day, it makes it look so much worse. And it really is pulling this team down right now. No, there's just no fear when he's at the play right now. And there's no. also just no hope as a Mets fan when he gets up there. You're just expecting, like, maybe he gets a single. That's, like, kind of our hope right now, which is not great. Just to stay with us for a second, it just came to me. That could be a reason that we haven't seen him in the three-hole at all after our crazy rotating three-hole over the past two weeks between Cameron Maven, Brandon Drury, and James McCann, which to say those three names as three-hole hitters, it makes me think this should be, like, a different sport. Crazy. Like, there's no way that those guys should be the three-hole. But maybe it is a real mental thing going on with Dom right now. Maybe Rojas and the front office know that. They don't want him to three-hole. Not saying that three is more pressure-packed than four. I feel like that's an equal amount of pressure, but there has to be some reason that he hasn't been tried there before Cameron Mabin was used there for three days in a row. No, it definitely doesn't make any sense. But we did also get some positive stuff out of this game, too, not to harp on Dom being terrible because he was the whole series. It's just plain and simple. Nito, still sick. Nito King, our boy. Your boy, my more boy. so than my boy, but your boy for sure. He's been great. Cannon of an arm again. Oh. He's awesome. He's just, he's turning into a really solid player for us. And it's nice to see, because this is a guy who's, you know, a Mets prospect from the start, been here for a while, gone through a lot. Like, you know, just like as a player, not getting time, bringing in Wilson Ramos, all these dudes, but now he's earning playing time and he's making an impact for sure. Dude, and it seems like he has improved defensively as well. I remember him of always having a good arm, but after this year, I would tell you he has a great arm. That one throw he made was sick. I don't know how he even got that guy. Crazy. You're talking about the Monday one, right? Yeah, where Hampson, I think, stole. And he got a yeah. great jump, and he still got him. One of the better base dealers in the National League. And he had him by a step. Like, it wasn't even yeah. competitive. Like, he is putting every single throw on the money with velocity. It's beautiful to see the maturation of Tomas Nito. I don't remember if I said this to you personally or said this in our last episode. But the 2020 season was 162 games. I think we might have gone into the last offseason with a very different perspective of our need a catcher. I think you I think you told me that personally, yeah, because I, I can't disagree with you there. I think if we saw this version of Tomas Nito for an entire 162, me we probably don't go after James McCann. We're I think like we're definitely out of the Real Muto thing, even though we kinda were already out of it. 
But I think we're looking for more of a platoon guy to split with Tomas Nito as opposed to a guy who's going to be the starter and Nito as the backup for sure. Definitely, just the general like idea of putting $10 million of our offseason budget towards catcher. But we'll get some more Nito in a second. I also want to touch quickly Yancy Diaz. I was like way too excited Monday night texting you about Yancy Diaz just because yes. I love like this nonsense pitcher minutiae. When I see something different in a guy from year to year, I am going to jump all over that because I trust Jeremy Hefner. But Yancy was a starter in the Blue Jay system for the last couple of seasons. He was never really that good. He struggled with command. He was walking at least 3-4 per 9 and never really was getting like the strikeouts or the effectiveness that you wanted. He never had those crazy ERAs that would move him through a system and he was never striking out more than 8 per 9. So that's not super prospect level. That's why he was kind of like the throw-in or maybe like the 60-40 in the trade for Mats with uh, Sean Reed Foley, SRF, our boy. But he has made a very subtle delivery change so far this season where he is doing the short arm action that we saw Lucas Mm -hmm. Giolito use to create more command and more control in his arsenal and he's not really just whipping all the way back like we see like the way kind of we're all taught to throw yep. a baseball especially the pitch Robbie Ray too just been doing that recently. yeah Robbie Ray did do the short arm thing which is weird the Blue Jays did that and didn't have the idea to do that with Yancey or just maybe the Mets identified him as a guy where a subtle mechanical change would change his value because oh boy I think we're going to see a guy's value increase now even with that shorter arm action he's still getting the like the mid-90s velocity and life on his fastball that made him a moderate prospect and his changeup is like plus plus like that's a really good pitch he definitely needs to work on a curve or a slider i think he's been trying the curve it doesn't look great no but if he can sit mid like 94 95 like just sniff kiss 96 once in a while with a plus change up with actual command which it seems like he's had recently he was really peppering the strike zone he has still walked a couple guys so it might not be out of the woods yet but i think that we might have a very sneaky C team, B team, bullpen piece here in Yancey Diaz that we thought was kind of nothing two weeks ago. Bullpen depth is looking fantastic. This series specifically, the bullpen was really taxed, heavily used, especially today in the doubleheader. And they really have been stepping up. Like if you want to say one thing about this New York Mets team, they've pitched a hell of a season and the bullpen has been fucking sick. The bullpen has been disgusting. Any way you look at it, you really don't find any problems whatsoever. No. And this team's not where it is if not for that bullpen. No, this team is not in first place without it. They've, I mean, like, even today in the games, which we'll get to, like, such close games and they're keeping it close. We're not having these blow-up innings that we've seen in the past, which is so refreshing as a Mets fan because it feels like my entire existence as a Mets fan has been watching bullpens blow up. And right now this Mets bullpen is just super, super solid. Go to the ninth inning there, Drury hit the home run. That sucked because, like, ugh, way to tease us and bring us back into a game that I was already mentally... you know, checked out of. Definitely. And there was a man on, of course, too. And then VR had a 2-0 count. Yeah. I think he swung at a bad pitch and got out. Then Lindor had a non-competitive at bat and put us completely out of it. It was yeah. just painful to get so much closer to winning that game after it looked... Oh, Mazika. Did Mazika get a hit off Gomber that yanked yes, him out? Yes, I think he might have. Yeah. Mazika had a decent little series. He got a couple yeah. hits, so... It was tough game. Lose it. Whatever. This is going to happen with this team. They're just going to get outscored. Whatever. Game two, though. This team got off to a hot start. Jacob DeGrom on the mound. First start off the IL. Everyone was excited to see that. And we scored a run in the motherfucking first inning. First time in three weeks. Imagine. That's 21 calendar days. That's too far. That's too much. It was actually 24, I believe, calendar days. Because the first, last time we had done it was May 1st. And that was May 24th. God. Oh, that's, that's sad. But yeah. Good start to the game, and DeGrom, of course, gave us a chance to win, as he always does, because he's disgusting. A chance to win? That was putting that was putting Jacob DeGrom's talent very lightly. Okay, let he me say it this way. He goes out there every five days and gives us a chance to win. I really love him. He really plugs away. <laughs> Come on. Okay, fair. I didn't give him enough credit. Jacob DeGrom makes us a team that's going to win games. <laughs> he puts the team on his back. He's that dude. He's fucking incredible. He is... 
he is such a unique talent, especially given his age and his general like development. He is one of those like folklore baseball players. As Sports Illustrated made the joke about Sid Finch 40 years ago, Jacob DeGrom is Sid Finch. He's throwing <laughs> the ball 102 miles an hour. He's 35 years old. He's only throwing fastballs, and no one's even close to hitting it. Like, no. <laughs> the guy's a myth. He is good. He's just good. He's simply good. Can you understate Jacob DeGrom again? He keeps us close, and he's good. <laughs> I'm giving you... you a Jacob DeGrom answer. He would be like, yeah, I'm pretty good. Are you talking about Steve Traxel? <laughs> yeah, Steve Traxel. <laughs> dude. He was one of my favorite pitchers when I was younger for no reason. It's the human rain delay. Yes, but back to DeGrom. Still probably didn't have his best stuff, I think, coming off the IL. But like the Rockies lineup, one, isn't good, and two, DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball, so destroyed them, even though he wasn't sharp, I would say. He was toying with them. He only threw 63 pitches, which it was, like, super bittersweet to have him finally come off the DL and only give us five innings. Like, damn, that hurt like hell because he was looked so good, and he was so economic with his pitches and, like, his counts. He was in every at-bat. He barely had any three-ball counts. I don't think he had any walks. He may have had one, but I'm not recalling. I didn't write it down. But of the still 63 pitches, he threw 45 fastballs. That's a lot. That's so many. You're daring someone to hit you. Daring someone. That's over 70%. That's like, yeah. I know you can't hit me. He only busted out three change-ups. Three. And this guy is just playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. To Ryan McMahon, who burned him. Again, we're going to keep talking about Ryan McMahon. Burned DeGrom in the second inning, scoring the only Rockies run of the day with a solo home run. He has him 0-2 with nobody on, two outs in the fourth inning, and he dropped one of those change-ups on his ass, got a whiff, ended the inning, didn't face McMahon again. People talk about all the time DeGrom's quick adjustments, like his the way he could fix himself in the middle of the game, that's why he's so good. That's what he did against Ryan McMahon. He did not let who someone who's become one of the best hitters in this lineup hurt him again. Dude, just as you probably think you figure him out, like McMahon hits a homer, he's got to be like, yo, that's off Jacob DeGrom, I'm feeling good, today's going to be a good day. He throws a change up. Have fun, Ryan McMahon. Smell you later. Like, he's very good, but DeGrom is just simply significantly better than almost everybody in Major League Baseball. What do you mean almost? More disrespect for Jacob DeGrom. He's not better than almost everyone. He's better than everyone in Major League Baseball. He's the best pitcher in baseball. Oh, no. Pitcher-wise, yes, but I mean, like, Trout, okay. like. Yeah. Oh, I can't compare that. I mean, All right, <laughs> I've never seen Mike Trout pitch. <laughs> it's true. We all apparently threw a no-hitter in high school, but that's really? not really not really comparable to pitching Cy Young award-winning seasons at Major League Baseball level. DeGrom did great. DeGrom was sick. DeGrom's awesome. He's the man. VR continues to be the cog that keeps this dysfunctional Mets roster turning right now. His numbers don't look good. I don't understand how this guy has an OPS still below 700 because I feel like he's walking and hitting and doing yeah, everything. Right? But then at the end of the day, you look at his numbers and you go, that's not very good. But he is. So I don't I don't know how to explain it, but he's been such an X factor for this team keeping us afloat. Batting average wise, he's not hit enough to get himself into like 800 OPS range because VR is not like a power threat. He has a couple nice dingers, which seems like a lot because no one on our team has any home runs. But he's not putting the ball in many gaps generally. And he is drawing the walks. That on base percentage sitting over 310 is beautiful right now. Crazy for him. It is something that this team really, really, really needs so badly as no one's in here. And he was on base three times on Tuesday night. Yeah. Of course. He was thrown out stealing two of those occasions. Yeah, was, come on. Do you, you think Jonathan VR is not going to try and run on when he gets on the base paths? No, but we talked about that last Sunday. Right? That like VR and Lindor, when those guys get on base to table set, they had to be aggressive. They had to run. Little League Baseball pushed the envelope, and they did that. And I like to see him do that. Two for three on steals is kind of weird, but like I like the process. I like the aggressiveness. And he did put three hard-hit balls in play on Tuesday night. Two of the 108 miles an hour, 196. He has been one of the most important Mets on this team. We said it before. We'll say it again. It feels weird every single time I do say it. But I'll still say it. No, he is one of the best players right now. Nito King does it again, goes yard, 
because why wouldn't he? Because he's Tomas Nito. And at this point, I go in a clutch situation. I want Tomas Nito at the plate, which is crazy. But why won't he hit third? Why can't Tomas Nito be the three hitter? He's been hitting fifth and sixth during the entire hot stretch. Tomas Nito gets more starts than James McCann. But when James McCann and Tomas Nito are in the lineup together, McCann hits ahead of him. Yeah, you want your best guys getting the most at-bats, and they choose McCann over Nito still, which doesn't make any sense. Also, like, a big story of the night was these fucking slide replay bullshits. DeGrom got it out when he was sliding into second, was off for like literally you could slip a piece of paper in between him and the base which if you go to replay and that happens you do have to make that call like yes he's technically off the base he's out but i think that the way that the replay system is where you can have someone up in the booth who's watching the video and see it and slow it down then say yes make the call i hate that the manager's got to make the decision you got like 10 seconds and you can't look at other stuff you can't get this outside info Make a decision. I think that's how you fix the replay thing because this was a big what to do. This series, because the Mets got kind of screwed a couple times, and granted, we've benefited from these dumb slide stuff too, yeah. but... Oh, God, it's so annoying. Like, this isn't what replay was meant for. It's a double-edged sword. So, like, everyone's going to have those benefit them, and everyone's going to have those hurt them. It hurt us on VR, that steal of third. That would have been yes. massive to have them up there with less than two outs. I think that was the fourth or the fifth inning of this game. Oh, and that was because Drury fucking yes, stepped yes, yes. out. Yeah, I was, oh. trying to, I was trying to get you into your uh, your diatribe about Brandon Drury because you were texting me in capital letters. Yes, I was upset. Which, should I just go on my Brandon Drury thing right now? Well, I laid the floor for you. Yeah, so you guys know Brandon Drury he's whatever he's fine he's on the team Jonathan VR stealing third dude had it you know he was safe by a mile he ended up getting called out because he slid over the bag technically for like a half a second when they held the tag on him but Brandon Drury did this man no favors he's a right-handed batter standing in the box and for some reason before the pitch even gets in the catcher's glove he vacates the box he's like I'm out of here see you later have a clear throwing lane which made that play close if Brandon Drury stays in the box Dom Nunez or whoever the hell is catching for the Rockies team has to go around him then make the throw and he's going to be on the other side of the bag he's not going to be even with it John VR safe at third I fully stand by this that half a second difference would have been made up by the catcher having to go around Brandon Drury but instead he stepped out of the box for some reason and gave him the most clear throwing lane I've ever seen. It's as if a lefty was up at the plate. It was insane. And the other crazy thing, too, is that Brandon Drury, that's a bad baseball play, not only because you made the throw easier, but if Dom Nunez even slightly sniffed Brandon Drury when he was out of the box, Jonathan VR is automatically out. Because if you step out of the box, like as a batter, you have a right to stay in there. Catcher crashes into you, that's not on you. But as soon as you take a step, uh, your shoelace gets out of there. Catcher touches you, the, the runner's out because that's interference. So bad baseball from all around. As a former catcher myself, I used to love when guys would step out of the box. High school I'll catcher. just fall. Yeah, high school catcher, you know, whatever. But uh, I used to love to fall into guys and be like, all right, that guy's out. Like, I had no shot. But thanks for being an idiot. You don't know the rules. If Dom Nunez didn't know the, or knew the rules, he would have done the same thing. We need to be smarter, Brandon Drury. If you're going to be on this team, I need you to not step out of the box. That's all I'm asking for. I'm expecting minimum from you. Don't step out of the fucking box when there's a guy stealing third, please. I I didn't even think of that point that he was like, as he was making the play easier, he was risking interference. Like that is just two wrongs there. Do not make a right. No. It's also funny that we can't differentiate between these Rockies catchers as hard as we try, even though they have very different skill sets. (laughs) But both of them are terrible. Like Dom Nunez, what's shocking about Dom Nunez is I think he struck out like, 45 times and under 100 at-bats, the first 100 of his career. Gary was talking about it a lot because he was very fascinated. Without including today's game, he had 95 at-bats, 44 strikeouts. That is <laughs> insane. That is, that's not even the record, by the way, which is crazy. You don't get called Bomb Nunez for nothing. 
No, he's just not very good. Um, but that whole Rocky team just isn't very good. And in a game like this, game two, which I can't believe we're still on it. We got a lot to talk about here. The Mets were able to take advantage of the Rockies being bad and just be better, even despite being a minor league team offensively. The pitching, the bullpen stepped up again. The bullpen does it again and again and again. Like the carrying call of this team, our backbone, our strength. The Mets did not throw a fastball in this game that was slower than 94.9 miles an hour. That's silly. That's stupid. I don't know. I didn't look this up, but I'm sure that's happened rarely in the history of this game. Bud Black, who's been around baseball for a very long time, he said that he doesn't recall any game he's ever been a part of in his life when he didn't see any fastballs below 95 miles an hour. We just dominated those guys with heat all day. Castro found it again, which was great to see. Love that, my boy. It was interesting that he tightened his repertoire this game against uh, the Rockies. I've been lauding him all season for mixing his three pitches pretty evenly between the sinker, the slider, and the changeup. Tuesday night, he basically got rid of the changeup, only threw one. The pitch that used to be his bread and butter, the pitch that was advertised as his bread and butter before, because Peterson was the same way coming through college in the minor leagues. It seems like the Mets are a team that doesn't necessarily value the changeup a ton. We're a very big slider organization. Which I think you should be. Slider has the change of pace and it's horizontal and sometimes vertical movement too. Yeah. Like, and especially when you do miss with like a changeup and there's really only certain spots you can throw a changeup. Like, yes. you're not going to throw a changeup low and inside to a right-handed batter if you're a right-handed pitcher because you're just speeding up the bat. The worst thing that probably happens there or the best thing that probably happens there is a foul ball. Like that pitch just doesn't get ready to swing and miss a lot. But a slider... With the movement, the deception, the spin, everything, like that's it's just an infinitely better pitch. Definitely. I think it's the best pitch in baseball. And Diaz, just to keep moving through the bullpen to get to the end of this game, his slide looked electric again. That at bat to McMahon, again, we're going to talk about McMahon again, 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 because the guy's really freaking good. He threw a first pitch slider to Ryan McMahon in the ninth inning. Like, that is big respect. I've touched how not often Edwin Diaz throws first pitch sliders. The only one I recall was one to JT Realmuto a few, like about a month ago. He throws him less than 10% of the time in his Mets career. I think actually less than 9% of the time. So him to find one to Ryan McMahon there, huge. And he stuck with that slider that entire at bat over and over again. Slide, slide, slide. Kept calling it, kept doing it, and it got the strikeout and won the Mets the game. Yeah, no, Edwin Diaz, dude, he's been so good. Can't deny it. Edwin is legit. Play those fucking trumpets, baby, because this dude, when he hears them, is on a different level. Good team win, game two. DeGrom doesn't get the win, of course, because of no decision. We, that's, no. that's what we love to do. God forbid this guy gets a win. He's got the le- least amount of wins in Hall of Fame history when he's all said and done, but it's uh, it was good. We needed that one, especially after a little bit of like a frustrating game one. We had the day off because of the rain, even though it didn't rain, which was weird and awkward and strange, but then we had the doubleheader today. Two seven-inning games. By the way, we have now played four seven-inning games against the Colorado Rockies this season, and we're done with them. That's it. More than half the games we played against this terrible team were only seven innings long, and I feel like you stretch these games out, typically is going to help us, especially with our roster compared to theirs. But game three, Stroman on the mound. I was at the game, so I didn't necessarily get to see as much of the locations and the movement on the pitches, but he got the job done. He he was great through six. Dude, he was. He was amazing. I texted you, leave him in for seven. Leave him in for seven. I wanted Stroman to finish this game because he looked so damn good. This game started 10 a.m. local, which is pretty funny. The Rockies broadcast was making a ton of breakfast jokes for the like the first three innings yeah. of the game. Also, have Ryan Spielberg's on the call. Ryan Spielberg is one of those great low-key baseball names that, like, you know Ryan Spielberg's like, you're a real one. Like, yeah. back to Marcus Stroman. Just like last week against the Marlins, he was, like, a little bit shaky early. Two kind of so-so innings with guys on base. Even though nothing was hit hard, just, like, dinky singles, like, that's going to happen with Stroman. But he really just figured it out. 
Like those couple hits the first two innings, Story and Blackman both made loud outs in the fourth, and that was literally it. No one was even close to him the entire game. He only gave up four hard hit balls the entire game and none after the fourth inning. Fifth and sixth, he was clean as a whistle. He has been the linchpin to this team, like an absolute savior for what we're trying to do. As everyone falls down around him, Marcus Roman continues to stand up and just be consistent. Every single fifth day, start after start, everything we need. Yeah, no, he's great. He's he's awesome. He plays with the chip on his shoulder and he's living up to it. And especially now with the new Syndergaard news that we got that he's going to be shut down for six weeks, probably doesn't come back until the earliest August. Stroman's value just keeps, keeps climbing higher and higher. This is a guy that I think the Mets 100% right now could even start having contract negotiations with him to extend him because this dude needs to be a part of this team. He's been huge. He deserves it. I want him here. He's a good pitcher. And I think it's going to play until his, you know, mid-30s. I don't see this guy slowing down anytime soon. I honestly see him getting better because he continues to tinker and he continues to find his way every single time he's on the mound to do it. Today, more so than any start this year, his slider was his featured pitch. He threw the pitch 39 times, the next closest was the sinker at 19. That is a massive gap between your top two pitches for a guy who's mixed a lot of pitches all year. And that slider was like very, very, very good again. Got a 33% whiff rate. That's freaking awesome. Also something that Stroman's been added to his repertoire this year, more so than years past, was four-seam fastball. His third most thrown pitch after the slider and the sinker. I'm a big four-seam fastball guy more than a sinker guy. I'm not a fan of the sinker. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I wouldn't throw it if I had any kind of arm. If I threw more than 65 miles an hour, <laughs> I wouldn't try to throw slower. I don't understand that. But damn, that four-seamer, it wasn't put in play today. Threw it 12 times. He got four swings, two whiffs, three called strikes, and everything else was a foul ball or a ball. It's pretty good. That's good. This is a pitch that Stroman has been focusing on and should continue to focus on. I like that he has made it a bigger part of this game. The one thing I was upset about with Stroman today was that the, he just didn't have the splitter. It's a new pitch. Yeah. I get that. Hard tinkering. to tell a new pitch. Yeah, he's tinkering. He's learning. He only threw eight. He got no whiffs on it. That's a far cry from last week against the Marlins when he threw it 25 times, and it looked dominant for basically the entire second half of that game. Something to keep an eye on, but damn, it did Stroman help us out so much and put this, as you would say, put us in position to win with six shutout innings. Yes, dude, and he made a difference in the field today, too. He made some yeah. great plays. There was that, like, was it a bunt or the chopper on the line that he got to and made, like, a really, or, like, made a nice play. Yeah, showed off the glove, the gold glove, which was really nice. And then there was a ball that was hit to Peraza, I think, and mm -hmm. McCann got real aggressive because McCann just, yeah. he's not a first baseman. I no. can't blame him for this. Forgot he had to go back and cover first after he didn't get the ground ball. Luckily, Stroman got there. was like, nah, buddy, I got this. Don't worry about it. Big plays. That's the kind of stuff that, like, little things that might not come up in the box score, that's the Marcus Stroman difference. He's not going to strike out 15 guys over nine innings like Jacob deGrom, but he is going to make some differences otherwise, and he's he's fantastic. He's been really, really good. This team, again, not even as close to as successful this year without him. No, we're not, but he's amazing. Let's just get to the rest of this game a little bit. Francisco Lindor got some boo birds all game because he still yeah. can't hit. But game one today, he very easily could have been three for three rather than 0 for three. Every single one of those balls was like well hit or at least in a position that I wouldn't have expected the Rockies to get to it. That diving stop in the first by Fuentes. Yep. Who's kind of, was a thorn in our side defensively all series, which is weird. He's terrible defensively normally. Yeah, exactly. Bizarre. And then McMahon made a sick play in that bunt, which again, we don't love Francisco Lindor bunting, but that was a good bunt on a guy who was playing back. He got a lot on the bunt, which is kind of ironic to say. It was a hard bunt. But McMahon also had to make a perfect play and a perfect throw, and he did. He did. Because he's a good ball player. 
Definitely, he's a great ball player. Love Ryan McMahon. Big Ryan McMahon podcast. But even just to pick up, scoop that ball with the bare hands coming in so hard was impressive. And he did make a perfect throw, got him by a half a step. And then he had a rocket off your mom Marquez's, like the meaty part of his like, torso, right? Drilled it. <laughs> yeah, he crushed him. 104 miles an hour off the bat. Like, that should be a base hit. Whatever. I just, I want this guy to do well so bad. And I don't know how soon it's going to happen. I think it will happen. I looked back at a couple guys starts with big contracts recently alex rodriguez people don't remember but hit about 260 his first month with the yankees ops was like barely 700 which for alex rodriguez that's pedestrian even that entire year with the yankees you only hit 275 with 30 homers for that frame of alex rodriguez's career that's crazy howie rose keeps talking about cleon jones yeah, after stop. the 19 after the 1970 world series cleon had an awful two months of the season he hit like 320 the year before and was hitting like under 250 that time which in 1970 if you're hitting under 250 you're not even a major leaguer yeah you might get cut yeah, exactly. But like, Kristen Yellick, since he signed that massive contract with the Brewers, he still has not really been the all-star we're used to. Like, it affects guys' minds when these material changes happen in their environment. It does. Not that it's an excuse, because there have been countless guys who have performed very well when they've gotten lots of money, sure. But like, I'm still confident in Lindor. And the fact that he's still playing lights-out defense leads me to believe he is still the same confident ball player that we're used to that we know the Rockies broadcast to bring him up again they had a very funny couple frames in the first inning of this game after that ground ball double play which again that was a great double play the Rockies turned Fuentes story with the spin Fuentes back to the bag 363 is rare very rare they showed like this very Queens Mets fan with a big fat beard very well groomed and manicured but like very large just going fuck you Francisco you (laughs) suck you saw a mouth again they're like oh some colorful language from the from someone in the Mets crowd (laughs) And then after Lindor made the diving stop in the top of the second inning, which was sick a play, be- by the way, sick play, the glove toss to Peraza didn't turn two, but he let he let a hit go with a man on base. They got back to the same fan in the stands. They found him. He was just sitting there with his arm crossed, like, ah, that was, that was pretty good. Yeah, this guy's still a ball player. He's still That's a ball player. It's going to happen. Just be patient. It's hard to continue to say being patient because I really want him to be a good hitter because we need him so bad. But just be patient. I like. I've lost my patience, but I'm not upset. I'm not like mad at him. I'm not done with him. I've not given up. But like, I'm like, let's do it soon. Like now, let's start hitting. But I, I like today was a day that it was good to see the balls being hit hard because he did. And even in the second game, like he was hitting some line drives across the place. He even hit some good foul balls, which we've talked about before. We love to see a good foul ball. I think we're finally starting to see him hit the ball a little bit like out in front. You're supposed to, you know, kind of attack the baseball. Looked like he was doing that a little bit today. Big stuff. Big stuff. He's coming. We don't got to worry about it. That was kind of it for the game, though, because it, it was one nothing. Edwin Diaz came in, shut the door as he always does. Edwin. I love those fucking trumpets, and he loves them, too. And and the Mets win. one nothing. Mets win. Mets win. Lightning fast game. Hour 54. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. My I went with my dad and one of his friends, and my dad was fully planning on leaving after the first game. But he saw that I was like, "Ah, eh, it's like two o'clock. Let's stay. Let's see what's gonna happen." And then game four happened, yeah. which was a little bit of a roller coaster. Even though the Mets were in control basically the entire game, it was not easy to watch, and it's, it's not never gonna. Yeah, no, it's it's never gonna be easy to watch Joey Lucchese pitch, which we've said on this podcast many times. James very vehemently not a believer in Lucchese. I had some faith my faith is dwindling while he pitched well against Miami he didn't necessarily pitch good today and I'm not going to completely blame it on him because he shouldn't have been out there for the fourth inning 
No. But he is, especially against the Rockies, not the guy we should be going to. Before we get going into the Lucchese breakdown, just a little quick tid- tidbit. He walks out to the Sopranos theme song, which I think is hilarious because, like, Lucchese crime family or whatever, like, that's a big mob thing. And so for him to come out to the Sopranos theme song is awesome. I wish he had a little more, you know, toughness on him, had a little bit of that edge. You know, he's kind of missing, but that's just it before we start talking about the bad. I don't know. I, I texted you a joke at the beginning of the game where Lucchese, I saw Lucchese walk the first two batters, and I was like, oh, no, this is yes. not good. Everyone then, said that. At the beginning of the third, you were like, they should, they should, they, he can't be out there right now. I said, he should not have been out here at all. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Lucchese, you shouldn't let him face a team like the Rockies. You've seen him many times before. A guy who excels on deception almost purely because the stuff is non-existent. Letting guys who've seen him before face him is bad. You want to hear something crazy about Lucchese? He threw more pitches today than he threw last time out against Miami. Oh, yeah, no, we were talking about that. We're like, what, do you throw, like, 40 in Miami? I think it was, like, 53. Today was 70. Yeah, it's too many. Why? I don't understand why the leash was so long. Like, they were just leaving him out there, just like, they won't hit him. They'll never hit him. Not Joey Lucchese. It seemed like Castro made a... Castro, Rojas, made a conscious effort to use the C-team slash B-team bullpen because he kept Lucchese out there for way too long. And then Drew mm-hmm. Smith was the next guy up, which I, we love Drew Flo. We stand Drew Flo. But we know that Drew Flo is not one of the big guys. I thought for sure no. that we were going to be seeing like Familia May Castro. I thought that's who was coming in. It's shocking that Castro and May did not pitch in this game. For how close it was, I get that he wants to save those guys to use them in two games against the Braves. I get that, especially when they've already won two against the Rockies. But we've said this time and time again, you cannot manage for tomorrow. No. It worked out today, but that's bad planning and bad process. I would not like to see that very much moving forward. And in the fourth inning, too, leaving in Lucchese was crazy, too, because in the third, he had, like, two balls hit really well to the warning track. Billy McKinney made a nice catch. By the way, Billy McKinney made his yeah. Mets debut. We didn't talk about him. Acquisition of Billy McKinney. Yeah, nice double. He, he seems like a—he's a much more serviceable MLB player than the guys we've been throwing out there, that's for sure. He's a purely competent baseball player, which is such a massive improvement over the things on this roster. He's a former first-round pick. He's mildly athletic. He doesn't strike out very far above league average. He plays decent defense. There's a modicum of pop in that bat. This is everything I've ever dreamed of. Billy McKinney, this is amazing. Billy McKinney, especially when you compare him to Cameron Mabin, like, hell yeah, Billy McKinney, let's go. Because that guy has something right now. Cameron Mabin is struggling, man. And, like, no one expected him to be good because he's just not a very good player at the age he's at right now. But at least he hit the ball hard at the end. He just got unlucky, which I don't know if you saw that, but he, like, lined it to McMahon. Yeah, it did, yeah. Deflected to the shortstop. They get McCann at home because McCann has to freeze on the line drive. I was like, oh, Cameron Mabin literally can't do anything right. It's like, I feel for the guy. I want him to do well. But the big story from today's game, though, is Mr. Jose Peraza, the yeah. king of cl- the king of clutch. The dude is so good with the bases loaded. It, it his numbers with the bases loaded are laughable. We didn't we didn't even talk about him in Game Three. We said it was a one nothing game. Jose Peraza was the one. Yeah, the home run. Yeah, he won us the game. I think that was the only ball we put to the outfield. He like didn't even necessarily like hit it that great. He kind of like lunged a little bit. He was a little out in front of it, and that ball just kept going. No one looked competent in Game One at the plate except for Nido got a single. And Peraza got the home run. Like, that was it. But, yeah, game four, they put up a stat with him with the bases loaded. 315, lifetime average with the bases loaded. Jose Peraza. Who even knows if that's, like, above league average with the bases loaded? Because it's pretty, like, getting hit with the bases loaded is not the hardest thing in the world. That's above Mets average, though. Yeah, for sure. The Mets are one of the worst teams bases loaded in the history of baseball. I'll put my stamp on that. Mets students don't do shit with the bases loaded. Another funny stat that I heard from today's game, Howie on the radio, was that the Mets have the most bases loaded walks in baseball. 
tied with the Brewers, two teams that have really hard time scoring runs. You want to know why? Because we walk with the bases loaded. <laughs> oh, but like it worked, got there, got the win. I thought it was cool that the Rockies decided to go to their C-team bullpen when they were only winning by one run in the fifth and sixth innings of this game. That was amazing. That was because, fun, seeing Jordan Sheffield come out there yeah, and not know how to throw a strike. George, I didn't even know Jordan Sheffield was in baseball. When I saw Jay Sheffield, I was like, is that, did they get justice? Did they get justice <laughs> Sheffield in Detroit? <laughs> Like, why is... If the Rockies would have used Daniel Barr and Michael Givens and Robert Stevenson, they probably would have had a shot to actually win this game. I'm very glad, grateful they chose not to. It showed, gave us Jordan Sheffield and Yancy Almonte, two guys who are not even competent. We saw that in that inning. Jordan Sheffield, uh, Archie Bell and the drills tightened up. Keith always likes to talk about that. He just, he could not find the strike zone. He lost it at one point. And it was almost effectively wild because the Mets couldn't hit these pitches. And Jordan Sheffield's very hittable. It would have been great to put some balls in play because we had the bases loaded, but it was just like walk, walk, long at bat, walk. Like it was a really, really long inning. This game was just kind of like for seven innings, it drained on, man. Lucchese on the mound just doesn't ever put anybody away quickly. He loves to start the counts behind. Antonio Senzatella stinks. That guy's not very good. This game was not fun to watch if you were a fan of pitching, but if you were a Mets fan, it was great because the Mets won. And to be fair, Loop and Familia got got the job done as well. Familia, love him, man. He's so good. Those guys nutted up, especially when we're committed to using the B and C the B and C bullpens. Like it was nice to see Loop, Familia, and then later on, not Gazelman, of course, he did not do well. But Barnes locked the door down. Like to see those guys step up is nice. We got a full 26, 27 today. Which why can't Thomas Abuki pitch? Why can't why, why won't he pitch? Why doesn't he pitch? I don't get why he doesn't pitch. I have no clue. That beats me. Jacob Barnes, maybe the wildest stat, has two saves on the year. That's crazy. You want to hear wild stat about saves? I was looking at your notes about Gazelman not getting it done, but thank God we did have a quick hook, which is yes. dead on true. Thank you, Rojas, by the way. Thank you. That was Great job. When this dude manages, he does a good job. <laughs> I think Rojas had a very good series. Again, yeah. Besides the Lucchese thing, I can't really take him out for anything. But it seems like those Lucchese cues are coming from above. My dad said it's, it's got to be a script because it seems like they're very much be. like, we have to get four out of Lucchese. No matter good or bad, we're getting four innings out of Joe Lucchese. And I don't think Luis Rojas is exactly in charge of that. But a crazy stat to talk about how far we've come in Mets land. In 2018, Robert Gazelman had 13 saves. He had 13 saves? How crazy is that? 13 saves 13? in 2018. He was the closer for most of the second half of that awful season. That is, oh yeah, because we got rid of, uh, we traded Familia. Familia, yeah. Yeah, oh my goodness, I forgot about that. We Bobby Wall, woo! Made that happen, yeah. We saved a couple million, though. Yeah, I'm sure the Wolpons took that right to the bank. Yeah, of course, those rat fucks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that is a, another interesting statistic to talk about here. Worth noting, my guy James McCann had a pretty good series. While mm-hmm. he didn't have you know the average or the home runs or this or that, he swung yeah, the bat better. Well, yeah, I know, but I'm just saying like it was not a series that lit up the box score. But if you yeah. dive deeper into the numbers, there's some really good things to see here. Five of the nine balls he hit into play were over 95 miles an hour. And we have talked a lot about how Prior to, like, two series ago, James McCann had one barrel, and it was the home run he hit. So he's starting to barrel up the ball a little bit more. He is having better at-bats. I think that's a positive. It's good. I like it. I don't know if he's going to be the player that we thought he was, but if he's at least hitting the ball hard, I can say with, like, some some certainty that he's not going up there and completely sucking shit. Like, he is hitting the ball hard. This guy's not sucking shit. Yeah. No, he did. He Honestly, that play Monday night, that diving play, seemed to take, like, a million pounds off his shoulders. He lightened up after that. He got the stupid hat thing that happened to him. Yeah. Like, something seemed to click with McCann. He had a very good hitting game after that, and he looked good this entire series. I wasn't even, like, fuming mad that McCann got the second game start rather than either, which is a big step for me. That is. That's huge for you. 
Yeah, that's massive. So I think James McCann actually can be a competent hitter the rest of the season. The fact that he's playing good defense at first base is a gravy, I guess. The craziest thing of this whole whole year. I guess that we can have we can have Tomas Nito and James McCann both in the lineup together, which if you would have put me in a time <laughs> machine and I heard that quote two months ago, I would have told you to fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, it would have been like, what's wrong? What place? How many games have we lost? <laughs> Not that many because we are still in first place. We gained ground on the Phillies this week. That yeah, trash franchise. They had garbage city filled with garbage people. Sorry, people of Philadelphia who listen to this. Stand by that. I think it's a fine city and some of the people are, are decent. Yeah, that's fine. But we're still in first place, two and a half games. Um, I know you want to touch a little bit more about some stuff with the Rockies here, but I feel like let's just talk about the Braves real quick, that series coming up, and then we can kind of close it out here with what we're talking about because we do need to talk some trades again with this Mets team because it doesn't look like anybody's coming back anytime soon. No. But we got a big series with the Braves. Three night games, Sunday night baseball. Sorry, guys. I hopefully will be at that game so I don't have to listen to or have my ears bleed from listening to A-Rod and Matt Faskersian talk about how home runs are rally killers and a three-run lead is worse than a two-run lead, but big series (laughs) against the Braves. The Braves are playing probably the best baseball they've played all year, and we know that this Mets team's just not very good right now. So it's not going to be easy. What are our matchups, James? What are we looking at? Well, we heard from Anthony DeComo a couple hours ago. Honestly, mid-game. First, he tweeted this morning that Taewon Walker was a candidate to pitch tomorrow night, which if you're a candidate to pitch tomorrow night, that's weird. Also said that it would be determined by a bullpen session today. So we said maybe Taiwan, he threw a bullpen session today. As of two hours ago, he is going to pitch tomorrow night against the Braves. Night which game. Is big. Scary. Night game. I know, it is a little scary, Taiwan night. But last time he pitched at night, he got injured against these very same Braves. So that's weird. But we have Taiwan, Peterson, DeGrom. DeGrom Sunday night, so that's going to be at least watchable. There's only yeah. going to be mute A-Rod mute a listening to music or something. And then versus Ian Anderson, Max Free, Charlie Morton. So the Bra- the best three pitchers the Braves have. We're getting the A staff here. If we can find a way to split the Walker-Peterson games and then just go into the ground with house money having already won one game, I will say we've won the series. Yeah, no, got to keep it close. Got to keep it close. They're two and a half back now, I think. So this like series, a sweep, puts them in first, which we don't want to have to deal with. Get one. Hopefully, it's the DeGrom game and one more, which would be really great. Holy crap, I'll freak out. Taiwan or Peterson, one of those guys has to fig- find it. Got one yeah. out, Get put us in position to win. I think they both will. Maybe actually not Peterson because the Braves dominate left-handed pitching. They're swinging hot bats too, but Ozuna, I think, is not going to be playing because he like fucked up his finger. No, he's out six weeks. That, that yeah. was disgusting. That just, like, Gross. Really, yeah, awful. Gross. He was just starting to get hot too, and I don't want Mar- Marcel Ozuna to get hot for like Braves met sense. But I like Marcelo Zuna as a player, and fantasy baseball interest will also bleed into what I want to happen. He had been swinging a hot bat. But it's cool he's not going to play. The Braves are playing well. The Braves do not hit as well outside of Atlanta. Atlanta's a great hitting environment. Yep, especially this year. Definitely. And, and City and, Field does not play well this year. No, it doesn't play well ever. It never does. But let's just find one these next two days. Just find one. Maybe the fact that like it's getting darker later. It'll be light for most of the time. Taiwan's on the mound tomorrow. I'm sure he won't go more than five innings anyway for a start off the IEL. We'll yeah. probably see some Sean Reed Foley. Oh, I didn't even think about that today. I didn't even yeah, think about they that. they did use him, him or Zabuki. So the fact yeah. is that they were probably planning a piggyback for Walker. Which, okay, I that gives me a little more insight into what Rojas was thinking. I can almost support the decision more. I still don't, but I can start to see his process a little bit there. It would be great to take a series here from the Braves. But let's talk about 
now because I don't think there's much else. The Braves, we talked about them like a week ago. We, we, know, really we, we know the Braves well. There's no one to watch. Everyone's aware of everybody here. We got to beat this team. If you want to win yes. the division, you got to beat this team. Exercise the demons. Yes, but let's, I guess, do this as our little wrap-up here. We need to figure out some spots. We need to figure out some guys that are going to come up, give us some fresh faces, some fresh bats, because I think Khalil Lee's probably close to being sent down just because right yeah. now he's a defensive replacement. Uh. Which that's he's not MLB ready. He's gonna be fine. No, I got he's just not there yet. We knew that when we traded for him. But Cameron may have been playing every day and possibly hitting third. That's a problem. Why have we'll you third? Why have you ever hit third? I don't get that. I don't know either. <laughs> it make makes any sense. No Has anybody sense. in the media asked Luis Rojas why is Cameron Maven hitting third again? Cameron Maven gets to make the lineup. I don't think he puts himself hitting third. Like, Cameron Maven got to the dugout that day and was like, oh, snap. <laughs> I third? got traded for a dollar and I'm hitting third? How'd that I happen? Didn't, I couldn't even hit AAA. I'm hitting third. That's fun. He could be on the roster. He's fast. He at least has okay-ish at bat sometimes. Yeah. He is a, a savvy Major League Baseball player. He's a professional. He that. He's a professional. At this point in the game, he can do a lot of things to help your team win. None of them with a bat in his hands. Just, yeah, no, no nothing <laughs> like that. So we need to find some guys to fill in there. We need some help in the infield still. Like, it, VR and Lindor have to have a day off at some point. Have to be able to take a rest, and Wilfredo Tovar can't no. be the guy. <laughs> no. Wilfredo Tovar can't be the guy to fill in. So, I mean, one guy that I've been super high on, Jake Mangum who's been in the minors for the Mets. He's an outfielder, so that doesn't really help the infield situation. But he's been, you know, moving up. He got into, what, double-A now? Or is he in Brooklyn? What is he doing? He, he moved up to double-A. Okay, moved up to double-A. And he was he was crushing in Brooklyn. That's what it was. And I think he's off to a decent start in double-A as well. Definitely someone to circle, keep an eye out for. He was a draft pick, I think, in 18 or 19, one of those seasons. So he's got to be getting close to ready because he's going to be like 24, 25. He was one of the Brody picks when we were kind of focusing on like older, more experienced players in the middle rounds, using all of our slot money to give to like high upside first round players, which was working for a period of time, whatever. But he's been, she's actually showed some pop at double A so far, which leads me to believe that this is almost a test run where they're going to give him 10 games in double A and see if he can actually hit major league pitching. I want the Mets to be doing this with more of their prospects, especially because we have a window right now where if we can remain afloat, keep our heads above water, it will give this team a much higher likelihood of competing for a championship, which I'll say those words right now. Mets fans might want, not want to hear that, but I think everyone in the front office still thinks that is still the goal for this team. The roster that we have at full capacity, that's what they can do. Francisco Alvarez moved from low A St. Lucie to high A Brooklyn the other day. If he can handle the pitching in high A over a two-week stretch, I think that the Mets should be looking to be more aggressive. If he is in Brooklyn for a couple of weeks and he's dominating that pitching and toying with them on base percentage above 500 like he had in low way, move him up again. It's the same I would say is true right now for Ronnie Mauricio and Brett Beatty, who are also seem to be toying with the pitching in high A, the Penn League. I don't even know it's called the Penn League anymore because they changed yeah, the no leagues here, whatever. Juan Soto wasn't Juan Soto until the Nationals moved him aggressively. Neither was Fernando Tatis. None of those guys, Tatis was a little bit, but not even really, were consensus like top five prospects at the time of their ascent. If these guys are proving that they're dominant and they look to be potentially game-changing talent, you have to be aggressive with them. We don't have the time or the bodies or the resources to afford to let guys who could change our season, move our bottom line up to stay in the minor leagues. We can't. And 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds have been all over Major League Baseball for the last couple of years. It can happen. We're not going to ruin his development if he comes to the Major League or moves, moves up the system too quickly to hurt him. These guys aren't that fragile. I don't believe no. so, at least. If they go up and they don't hit, you can move them back down. You can have it. Rebuild the confidence. We have to be creative and be aggressive with some of these guys right now. 
Yeah, younger guys, it's not like the old days in baseball where you had to, you know, take your take your licks and you had to prove yourself and all this kind of stuff. Like, these young guys can play just as good as any of these other dudes right now. Like, I'm not necessarily saying Alvarez, Mauricio, those guys, but just we've seen the young talent come up. It's performed. Why not us? Why can't we have some of those guys too? Exactly. These guys have all the makings to possibly be game-breaking talent right now. Like, they do. Yep. And that's why being aggressive with them is so important because you're not, like, keep giving them tests. And if they keep passing it, that's great. This is a fantastic problem to have. No, absolutely. And if we weren't ravaged by injuries, I probably wouldn't be saying this unless these guys were actually still doing the things they're doing at these levels. Because it doesn't have to be an obvious need or an obvious situation to get elite talent to the major leagues as quickly as possible, especially when your owner is a bajillionaire and service time hopefully is not much of an issue. Because besides those two, the only other depth that could be coming up in the near future is a guy named Mason Williams, who's a Syracuse right now. A 29-year-old yeah. journeyman who's played for the Yankees, the Reds, the Orioles. He has a pretty low K rate in the minor leagues right now, no power, which that means you're not really going to, again, have power in the major leagues. You're not having a triple A. But those are the options right now. Either be aggressive with our elite prospects, at least try, think outside the box, give it a shot, or get Mason Williams up, or potentially make a trade. I would love to see some aggressive moves. I definitely would. And even on the trade market, we talked about it in text. The Rockies got a lot of players that could be really interesting. I don't think we're gonna get Ryan McMahon because I think they're. I no, think they're gonna. I, mean, I think they're gonna move McMahon this year though. I do, and I think they're gonna get a shit ton back from him. He's gonna go to like a big contender and be a big piece. But they do have some other guys, some four A guys that could be interesting. That I know you want to talk about a little bit. No, yeah, I would love to get McMahon, but we can't blow the bank for Ryan McMahon. Like I just no. don't know if there's like an obvious spot for him past a couple of months. But a guy who I would love to trade for from the Rockies, not a hitter. But with the Syndergaard news today that I am skeptical we even see him at all this year. Yermont Marquez dominates the Mets every time we face him. He's an ace at City Field. He's going to cost a good amount of money. But for a starting pitcher with that kind of stuff, with multiple years of team control, I would love to see if we can put something together where our value matches what they want to give up. Because it seems like the Rockies trade guys for shit. For nothing. They traded Nolan Arenado for nothing. Nothing. And then, like, you look up and down this roster, you could pair a guy with Marquez, like a Garrett Hampson, who we saw a lot this series, like Sam Hilliard, who hasn't been able to get in the field, but has apt physical tools. Jonathan Daza plays a competent outfield, and he has decent at-bats. Like, there are people on... CJ Crone doesn't really help us because the only position we don't need is first base. Whatever. They're not going to trade Fuentes. But there are guys on this roster, and all of the other awful rosters in baseball, who we can be able to pluck once the market becomes more robust and more teams are involved in buying there, not just the Mets. We're getting squeezed right now because the only team trying to buy. That's very obvious, which makes sense from like an economic perspective from the other teams. But yeah. Zach Scott said the other day, he looked disheveled in that press conference, I think it was Monday afternoon. He's Stressed. like, I've been, I've been on the phone all day. His hair was kind of fucked up. His, re his face was as red as yours. Like, yeah. The guy's working. I like to see that. So I think if we keep banging our heads here against this shit, we're going to find a player. Something's going to happen. We just have to keep floating. And these three games against the Braves are going to be instrumental to the way this next month is played. And you know what's crazy about all this stuff that we just talked about and all the worries and concerns and the ups and downs? This team is still in first place in the National League East, two and a half game lead, 24 and 20 record. We have games in hand. It's fantastic. This team, as bad as it looks right now, is still in the driver's seat in the division. That's crazy. We're only going to get better. We really are only going to get better, I think, from here on out. And that's one thing if you're a Mets fan, you got to keep that in the back of your head because we've seen some negativity recently. No reason for it. You know this. You know the Mets are not going to be as good as they should be right now. Like, I don't know who's getting fooled by this. Who expects to watch this Mets team and think that's going to be indicative of how they're playing in September? Like, you have to be sorry for my French here, but you have to be a fucking idiot. Like, 
you seriously have to be so fucking thick to think that Cameron Mabin and Joneshwi Fargus and uh, Patrick Mazika are going to be starting in September and be like, well, I told you, I told you so, you know, we should have been worried in May. Like, no, stop it. We're going to get healthy. We're going to be fine. And even with, we're still in first. Two and a half games. Two and a half games. games. As long as the Mets don't get swept this weekend, we will be in first again the next time we speak to everybody here on Sunday night. Yep. Let's hang our hat on that. Let's go out on that high note. Still in first. We're going to remain in first. Let's keep chipping away and finding ways to stay in these games. Let's smack around these Atlanta Braves, which the division goes through Atlanta right now. So I think that's a perfect time for us to end. This is a lengthy episode, one of our longest, but there really was so much to talk about this episode like just a lot of guys coming back intricacies whatever it is if you want to listen to us you know where to find us apple podcast spotify google podcast if you want to watch it we'll be on youtube just search up messed up podcast subscribe to the channel there follow us on twitter and instagram at messed up you can follow james at jeter had no range me at giraffe neck mark thank you guys for listening thank you guys for watching whatever you're choosing to do and we'll get back to you after this brave series this weekend hopefully feeling great thanks for listening guys peace See you next time.